Welcome, sweepstakes winners, to the Danger Room, the X Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam, and I'm Ed McMahon, and I'm here with your million-dollar check. Yay! <laughs> We're also here to discuss the Uncanny X Men 116, the December 1978 issue on sale, September 19th of 1978, and it is titled "To Save the Savage Land, Land, Land." Oh yeah. And we've got the petrified man yelling on the cover, death to those who violate the land and sought laws of the sun god. It's true and Colossus and Caesar and Banshee are all tied up to a pole, and Colossus is burning in agony, and Banshee's got his mouth covered, and he's also on fire. And This, uh, I believe, is the third issue that has a little text balloon on the cover of the new uh, X-Men. I like this cover. I really like Colossus's face. He does look like he's in agony. Um, this. I don't like the colors of this cover, but I like the drawing. Yeah, the shadowing on his mouth makes it either look like a shadow on his mouth or that he's screaming in agony. So it's kind of like an optical illusion. What I don't know is who's the woman standing behind him? I told you, that's Kesar. Oh, see, I don't think this is a great cover at all. He looks like a woman there. He does not. You can see one of his nipples. It's clearly not a woman. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe the comics code's a little lax in 1978. <laughs> it was never that lax. <laughs> Not for Marvel. Uh, all right. So, yeah, um, let's just open this guy right up here. Creek! We've got a story by Chris Claremont and John Byrne with Terry Austin as your inker, Tom Orzachowski as the letterer, Glynis Ween as the colorist, Roger Stern editing, and Jim Shooter the chief of everything. And where we left off, the X-Men were going to leave the Savage Land because they had important business to deal with, with Magneto and the threat, the oncoming threat towards their Professor X. But it turns out that they couldn't actually leave the Savage Land because the, 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 the oceans that they were planning to escape on were frozen over. It's true. In fact, uh, the ice is so sculpted here, it actually spells to save the Savage Land in the hill that they're climbing down. And only Wolverine notices. He's looking right at it. He's like, what? guys, guys, <laughs> never mind. Does, does anybody see this? This is amazing. <laughs> yep. So uh, Kesar is taking them to uh, wherever it is, uh, the thrice damned destination. Our journey is ended, X-Men. Beyond this ridge lies our first damned destination. I'm curious if thrice damned destination will be retconned later on. You'll not discover a city more wretched hive of villainy, <laughs> something or other. <laughs> and scum. Yep, so uh, we get another two-page spread. So this kind of seems like the new John Byrne formula here. We get an opening splash page. And then a two-page spread. This two-page spread is not as good as last week's two-page spread. 
but it's supposed to be amazing because the X-Men are looking down on a wretched hive of <laughs> common villainy. They're looking at a, at a city that was created and it's, it's very futuristic looking and I don't know, maybe in the seventies, this would have been exciting, but this is pretty old hat nowadays. Yeah. It's the city of the sun God. And what it is, is a, big yellow dome thing with a star on the top of it with big towers and oh i don't know electronic-y looking things on the side and as they explain garak was created to and he attempted to bring uh peace to the land and so he created this very city that they're looking at for everyone to live in where they would be required to be peaceful and if they didn't want to live there, they would be killed. But somehow the city upset the de delicate ecological balance. And uh, that's the, the, the mystical way that the Savage Land was kept savage and green and in the middle of Antarctica somehow not frozen, it has destroyed that. And the winter has come to the Savage Land. Correct. Which I thought was interesting. The I like that explanation. And if the balance is not corrected soon, the winter will last forever. Except for that. Yeah. I didn't like that last one. But the rest of it is good, <laughs> good on you, Chris Claremont. Yeah, for explaining. Well, and actually, later on as we go into the issue, we'll get further explanation as to how the Savage Land actually works, which answers some of my questions, but not all of them. <laughs> like, for example, on the next page, it looks like they're fighting amongst a background of sky. And in the third panel, when this, like, attacking savage comes along or whatever he is, flying on a pterodon or whatever, it looks like there's a moon behind him. <laughs> you know? It's a spotlight. <laughs> there you go. Garak's spotlight. <laughs> so they are uh, standing in awe, and suddenly they are attacked, as you mentioned, by pteranodons. Cripes, it's a flaming air force, says Wolverine. Storm and Banshee take to the skies. They think that they're trying to escape, but no. Uh, we get a rare use of Nightcrawler's abilities, uh, a good one, that is, as he bamps over to a Pteranodon and hits somebody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go Nightcrawler, you're not useless. Not on this issue. Somebody was finally like, we got to use this blue guy. <laughs> Those are some cool uses of his power. Well, uh, why don't we have him teleport over and hit somebody? That's a good idea. Whoa, you blew my mind. We should do that every time. We should do it a lot more often. So the next page is a uh, rare nine-panel page. I haven't really seen many of these in the new run of the X-Men. Well, John Byrne heard you talk about how he was slacking on the previous uh, couple of splash panels. So he was like, oh, I better, I better do nine panels for Jeremy. <laughs> uh, I think this nine panel page just clutters up the whole work here it's just so busy and noisy here but basically yeah. the x-men are fighting against this kind of balding white-haired man who's got a bolo that he's swinging around his head uh, and flying the pteranodon or, or whatever he is stay close x-men cover the back of whoever's next to you says cyclops and then gets promptly hit on the back and we are led to believe that uh, these are Zaladane's sky demons, as Kesar thinks about them taking Cyclops prisoner. Jeremy? Yes. What happened to the flying sharks? They disappeared. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't you remember? Never come back? 
never ever to come back. No more I flying sharks. Maybe we'd get a flying shark in this issue. Just... <laughs> a flying shark for Zaladane's sky demons would have been way better than what we're seeing here. Yeah, we've gotten enough pteranodons, but how much do we don't have any flying sharks? <sighs> Somebody write Marvel to bring back the flying sharks. So the pteranodons and their white balding or white-haired balding riders managed to capture Colossus and Banshee, and they even capture Caesar uh, as they knock him off the cliff. And uh, but but instead of letting him die, they they pick him up and cart those off, leaving behind Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Storm. Yep. And they watch as the sky demons fly away. Uh, and Wolverine kind of takes the lead here and starts guiding the team. One thing I want to point out here is, remember last week I was kind of praising John Byrne for turning the corner art-wise? Mm -hmm. Well, he dialed it way back on this one. Really? Oh, I don't. The art in this is like a big step backwards, in my opinion. Oh, I don't think so. Really? It it really feels rushed. Huh. That's interesting. I I like I like this panel of Wolverine where he says, "Nice." Or the second panel, "Nice work, Aurora, but we won't be here long," because she's using the winds to make sure the Tyranidans don't come back. Right. Right. I don't know. Just overall, I felt like the issue was just a little. I don't know slapped together in my opinion but we get a lot of good panels of wolverine and that's yeah always good in my book <laughs> so they uh now they need to address zebu because zebu has now been separated from kesar and zebu is not happy about it at all don't worry elf i'll handle the pussycat come here zebu you and me are gonna have some words but I don't speak English, Wolverine. <laughs> so this, uh, remember a few months back in the podcast, if you can recall, I said that Wolverine had another power that was very rarely used, and this is that power. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. And I was chiding you that you wouldn't remember. And I did remember. And I think I'm, I, I might be mistaken, but I feel like in a future issue, he'll also use this ability on a deer, but I, I could be wrong about that. But basically what it is, and this is actually referenced in the Marvel superheroes role-playing game, which they get all of their statistics from uh, the official guide to the Marvel universe. They call out this as a power. In addition to his unbreakable bones, healing factor and uh, heightened senses, this ability to communicate with animals. And so what he does here is he calms Zebu and says, look, we're going to help you get Kesar, uh, but this isn't the right way. You got to go down there. And he basically sends him away. We got to be sneaky, but you're not sneaky. So you go back to the village and bring the warriors uh, here pronto. And that way you'll be helping us. And don't worry, dude. We got, got this, this one. <laughs> and Nightcrawler's like, Wolverine, were you really talking with that tiger? Yup. Mm -hmm. Storm comments that there's truly more to him than meets the eye. At which point Wolverine transforms <laughs> into a Wolverine. <laughs> da, 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 da. So there you go. What do you think about that uh, newfound power of his, this, this ability to communicate with animals? I... Well, okay, I'm conflicted. Yeah. At this point, 
I'll take it. We're learning Wolverine's powers. It's an interesting thing. But unfortunately, I know that they're never, if, well, rarely going to use this power ever again. So that's kind of disappointing. But but I like it. It's kind of like Nightcrawler's invisibility, right? They introduce it and they're like, eh, no, that's not good. Yeah, they're testing the waters and so, this time the water is tepid. And really, I mean... I don't know why they did this. I mean, I think that they just wanted to give Wolverine a little bit more depth because there's no reason to write the issue. It, this wasn't introduced for the plot's point. I mean, they let Zabu could have come up and like given them a look, and they could have been like, "Oh, he misses his master, but he knows us, so he's gonna he's gonna protect this area while we go find him." And that could have been the dialogue. So we didn't introduce this little animal communication power simply for the fact of sending Zabu away. This is a very Wolverine centric issue we, is. we learn a lot about wolverine this issue so i think yeah they're just kind of they're developing wolverine's character here maybe this is a john Byrneism. i would i think so i i mean i've i've mentioned before that i've read that he was really pushing to keep wolverine on the team partially because he was canadian partially because he liked him and uh claremont and cochran both wanted to get rid of him so they head on down to sneak into the city because they're going to go mount a rescue, and that's when they come across a guard. And again, Wolverine's taking point here, saying we got to take this creep out fast and silently. I can teleport! <laughs> Wolverine says, thanks, Bell, but no thanks. This guy's mine. And he kills him. We cut away to a storm who's biting her knuckles and a... Nightcrawler, who's like, mine God. And then we see a very loud snicked at the bottom of the screen. So all indications are here that Wolverine snuck up on him and just killed him. When he strikes, there is no mercy in him, thinks Storm. So I don't think Wolverine's killed anybody yet. I mean, I think this is his first kill. Could be. At least in comic book. I mean, the like published comic books right right yeah i well i i would have to say that you're probably right because you probably would have mentioned it if we had encountered one before <laughs> true enough in fact so i'm gonna say that yes <laughs> uh i don't i think x-men killing beings is a very rare happening but i don't think this is the first time an x-man has killed something or somebody either inadvertently or on purpose definitely not something i'm not sure about somebody <laughs> i can't recall though we should have been keeping like a score scorecard maybe a villain died somehow yeah yeah maybe well who knows so they get in uh storm complains about the stench wolverine gives a little bit of dialogue about well it's a city they got to put their garbage somewhere they're sneaking in through the back and or, or through the underground i suppose and and underground is where the garbage is. Mm-hmm. Just like a certain science fiction movie that was out a year or so prior. <laughs> yeah, there will be more references to that science fiction movie that hopefully uh, I'll remember to call out, but I may forget. Especially when the walls start closing in. That's, that's a direct <laughs> ripoff. Yeah. So they continue on uh, through the garbage pit that they're in. Uh, and... What a great smell you've discovered. <laughs> and that's when uh, a little thing pops up out of the ground and grabs Luke Skywalker and pulls him under the water. 
don't shoot fly boy you'll get us all killed <laughs> no 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 it's a little dinosaur thing that chomps wolverine's hand uh wolverine again refers to nightcrawler's power as bamfing yeah scout ahead elf stay in the shadows and bamf back if you spot trouble that's kind of hard to say bamf back it would be easier to say teleport back I think later on in the series, they'll just refer it to porting. Like, port back, Nightcrawler. So, that's just playing with the language a little bit. The dinosaur grabs Wolverine's hand, and unfortunately, that's not a very great thing to do when you're dealing with a man whose claws come out of his hand. There's one mighty snicked, and the dinosaur is dead. Again. Except I have one complaint here. In the panel, the third or fourth panel, rather, you see Wolverine's hand in the dinosaur's mouth. We see the back of the dinosaur's head, and we hear the snicked. Shouldn't there be claws protruding from the back of the dinosaur's head? Not necessarily, but, I mean, that would have been a neat (laughs) visual, I suppose. And shouldn't there be a lot more blood? Well, we don't know how well these dinosaurs bleed (laughs) out. Well, this thing chomped Wolverine's arm, which... Would... It's a kid's comic book. Ah, fine, fine. But more, most importantly, Storm fears for Wolverine's hand, which was just chomped, and he says, and this is monumental, not so you'd notice. It's okay, babe. I heal real fast. And the beast ain't been born that can break my bones. <gasps> we get a twofer. Wow, a healing factor and unbreakable bones. It's true. And the ability to talk to animals. This is the Wolverine we know and love. Mostly. We almost have a complete Wolverine here. What are we missing? I don't know. Lots of different historical stories and the fact that his claws are actually bones and they're laced with adamantium and they're not actually metal bones and some other things, I'm (laughs) I'm sure. I don't know. Anyhow, uh, but I mean, going back a moment, for a kid's comic book, there sure are, this is the second page in a row where something has been killed by Wolverine, so... You were just complaining that there wasn't enough blood. I know, that's what I'm saying, is you said it was a kid's comic. (laughs) Make up your mind! I'm saying there should be more blood. More blood everywhere. More blood or less killing. There you go. So Storm uses her flood powers to clear out the uh, approaching dinosaurs. There's a few more dinosaurs approaching, and she refers back to how she did it in X-Men number 95. And we complain about it there, so I guess we don't have to complain about it here. No. Anyway, she clears out the room, and uh, they continue on their trek through the city. Yes. Dinosaurs vanquished. They continue into the smelly center of the city, and I guess it gets less smelly. This is just the low-rent district. Things improve further on. I have a feeling, because I'm Wolverine. (laughs) I know things. (laughs) My fourth power this issue. (laughs) They sent there, they reach the center of town, which basically has a uh, sun god statue or something in the middle of it with a, a star here, and I'm reminded of um, uh, the Temple of Doom scene when they're sitting up and they're watching the sacrifice and everyone's going, Kalima. Is that what they say? Well, that is, I, I would agree with you there, except that they say that this thing dwarfs 
any stadium such as the Superdome ever built by man. And you can see there is a huge crowd uh, watching this. Yeah, I know. That's just a bigger version of that scene in Temple of Doom. That's all. Temple of Doom totally ripped this off. Totally. <laughs> Steven Spielberg was uh, reading this. So was George Lucas. And they're like, we should make a scene just like this. Uh, they think they've spotted Cyclops at the very center of the dais. Is it dais? Dais? I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know. I would have expected on, you to look on the that stage. <laughs> sure. If they try to get down by foot or by storm, they'll be scragged before they can get ten feet. Elf, can you teleport that far in one shot? I don't know. I've never tried to before. But watch me. Yeah, he thinks to himself, I've never tried it. The strain could leave me weak as a kitten. And then, but then he says confidently, watch me, bitches. <laughs> Here I go. And so we get to the middle of the room and we notice that it is Cyclops, Banshee, Kesar. And in the middle, there is a red, hot, flaming colossus. And he's also on fire. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, he's also saying, if it was not for these vibranium bonds, I would something, something, something. Because the sun god here is going to execute this man to uh, uh, serve as an object lesson to those lesser enlightened members of the community. It's interesting that of the four people they have kidnapped, <laughs> he puts the one that would survive in the fire in the fire. Yes, the one person that cannot be burnt, who might melt but cannot be burnt... Oops. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, he doesn't know. Yeah. it's The X-Men are lucky. Something like that. Although they obviously have some knowledge of their powers because they've covered Cyclops' eyes and Banshee's mouth mm -hmm. and Kesar's uh, package. And so the sun god here, he's all like, your time grows short, X-Men. I wonder how long even your armored form can withstand the awesome heat of that magma pit. So it's more like a science experiment is happening here, yeah. I think. Will this metal man melt? That's a good question. I'd like to know that. And if he melts and then he turns into his human form, is he like all mutilated? And does that heat that's transferred into his metal body, does that say in his skin and he instantly like melts like his skin? He doesn't know. He's in fact asking the same question. No pain yet, but it will come. I wonder, will I melt? Will I, Jeremy? I don't know. I mean, we'll find out, right? Nightcrawler teleports in from his long-distance teleport and yanks off the cloth from Wolverine's uh, goggles. Wolverine? Or, Cyclops. Uh, Cyclops's goggles. Leader, do your stuff. Meanwhile, Cyclops was thinking to himself just before Nightcrawler popped in, It's happening again. Another X-Men is about to die, and I'm helpless to prevent my eyes. <laughs> my deadly eyes. So with his deadly eyes, he shoots the fire that's underneath Colossus, which... Well, he shoots the pillar, and then right. he says, Colossus, the pillar! Yes. Which, I guess he's just telling Colossus, like, you're about to be free, so go do something. Now, this first panel on this next page, I gotta be honest, like, I know that he's trying to draw a rib cage here, but 
It looks like he's got very low boobs. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> it's kind of gross, actually. I didn't notice that before. <laughs> I know it's trying to be a rib cage, but anyways. Uh, well, maybe it's because he's like slightly melty or something. That could be because he's like diving off the pillar and like that's the one area that's just kind of sagging off of his frame. If you look at the next panel where Wolverine and Storm are swooping in, it looks like Wolverine's on Banshee's back. <laughs> kind of. He's like, he's like, oh, we're really little, but we can stand on this guy's back. Little tiny Wolverine. <laughs> yep. So uh, in in the um, commotion, well, uh, Cyclops shoots the uh, cloth off of Banshee's mouth, so now Banshee can scream. And I guess that causes the guy's spear to break in half, because that's what happens in that next panel. Yes. A little Yee, weird. crack! A little weird, but anyhow. Looks like Wolverine and uh, Storm back to full size. <laughs> they free uh, Cyclops and Kesar, And Cyclops goes chasing after the petrified man, who apparently is, well... Scott thinks to himself, uh-oh, the petrified man's making a run for it. Why? <laughs> and that, as if to answer, the petrified man thinks to himself, I expended too much energy building my metropolis. The effort has left me no stronger than a normal human. If the X-Men are to be defeated and my dream saved, I must re-energize myself. So... Rather than the obvious, like, oh my gosh, my plan's falling apart and all the X-Men are attacking my guards... And that's why I'm running away. It's really just for him to re-energize himself, but whatever. So he slams the door. Cyclops has to blast it. He runs up some stairs. Cyclops is chasing him. They come out onto the roof of the city, which is like all crazy and stuff. Mm -hmm. He runs out to a big ladder, but he's like super far away. And he's standing in some sort of, it looks like a teleportation field, but I think it's just some sort of sun uh, drawing device. Yeah, he's he's recharging himself by soaking up the sun like a sponge. Uh, and so even Cyclops says, hey, that grid's feeding him raw energy. So I think that is just basically a big sun concentrator. And so as he's charging up, he has a big diatribe here of like, you shall now reap the whirlwind. I have the personification of forces that were ancient before you were born and blah, blah, blah. I will end you. He sounds like a wrestler. Now shall you reap the whirlwind? <laughs> Give me that folding chair. <laughs> They're blasting at each other's from the, with, they both have eye beams. The force of his eye beams. It's like taking a sledgehammer to the head. I've got to parry his beam with mine. Exactly. Even the slightest slip and he'll blow me off the dome. That is. <laughs> and then I'll fall off the dome. <laughs> and yeah so there's sparks and fire and all sorts of crazy stuff um and then the question box or the dialogue box here says which will reach his upper limit first <laughs> and the city starts falling apart as the as kazar is about to or kesar is about to stab zaladane <laughs> i didn't see that before i didn't either so she's got he's got her on the floor with her one hand, his one hand holding the scruff of her neck and then the other hand with a knife and he's just getting ready to drive it into her chest. Wow. I can only say that if he'd have done this now, it could have saved a lot of trouble way, way, way in the future. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So uh, the city's fallen apart, and they they the X Men decide to start abandoning the city, which is smart. Same drill as in Magneto's lab. We'll use your lightning bolts and my Masonic scream to batter a tunnel through the city. And so they do. So Cyclops continues battling, and suddenly the uh, the dome collapses, causing the Petroid Man and Cyclops to fall. Uh, down as if to the very center of the earth to their death. Uh, Banshee sweeps in and rescues Cyclops. What? Banshee? <laughs> and Storm dives in to rescue the petrified man. Yes. One thing uh, before we get into all of that that I, I think we might have missed but has been kind of identified slightly on these pages is that the reason, uh, and we alluded to it earlier, but the reason that the Savage Land is now covered in snow is because the city is built on top of like a, a sub-Earth, I don't know, magma fissure or something like that that shoots up hot air and, and whatnot to, to actually create this warm spot in the pocket of the Antarctic. So, yeah, just trying to add a little bit of science to the whole reason that the, the uh, Savage Land exists. So... The idea is that if this city can be destroyed, then potentially the Savage Land could return to its original climate. So oh, that's good. Yeah, maybe this is like an environmentalist issue as well. <laughs> Al Gore is in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm inventing the internet. Leave me alone. <laughs> so anyhow, Storm goes diving down after Garrock, and she's thinking to himself or to herself uh, that. Um, she must not think about the claustrophobia because it's getting narrower and narrower. A life's in peril. And as we've learned from past issues, uh, she, all life is precious and she can never take a life and all that sort of stuff. And she's just about to reach Garrock's fingers when something happens. And I, I think, does she get hit or something? But basically she loses her grasp on Garrock and he falls presumably to his death. She gets a bout of claustrophobia. Oh. Images collide in her mind, Garrock's eyes mirroring the ancient terror within her. Without meaning to, she hesitates. Hmm. And is lost. In that instant, Storm is no more. There's only Aurora, a child, whose private hell is the fear of dying alone, buried in the dark. She ah. flees. So her claustrophobia cost Garrock his life. What is it? Um, what does it mean to tack? She says she has to tack. I don't know. Isn't that... And that takes time. Like, it seems like a flying term. Like, we got to tack east or tack... I don't know. No. Okay. <laughs> I just didn't know. Yeah. So, meanwhile, outside, the rest of the X-Men minus Storm escape from a building who is uh, collapsing. It's all falling apart. Looks like they had the wherewithal to rescue Zaladane because she's also in the next panel. It's true. Mm-hmm. And we made it! Yep. And they're wondering where uh, Storm is. My God! Storm's still in there! She went after Garak when Banshee caught me! But with a mighty shakow, Storm erupts from the rubble. I wish I had sound effects following me around. Heck that would be yeah. great. I'd open the door and I'd be like, Bring! Growl! Scream! <laughs> Banshee comments, That's odd. Why is she landing so far away from us? And with a jolly smile, he says, I'd better see if she's all right. Leave her be, Irish. Huh? 
Think about it. She went into that hole to save a life. She came up empty-handed. Whatever happened down there, I figure it's something she'd rather work out on her own. Much more depth to Wolverine there. Yeah, this is a good good issue for Wolverine. He took a leadership role. Mm -hmm. He made some decisions. He's a maniac, a killer, and he's got more powers. A fortnight later, which is what, a week or two weeks? I don't know. No. All right. Well, that's, that's Shakespearean. A fortnight later and two furlongs, the X-Men have <laughs> uh, uh, thawed out the uh, – no, the uh, um, Savage Land has thawed out. They've built themselves a little makeshift raft, and they're ready to head back to the real world so they can see if Magneto's on the loose. Carl Lycos shows up to say, I'm not going with you, Cyclops. The world thinks Carl Lycos is dead. Let's leave it at that. Wolverine gives Zebu a final little play-in with there, much to Nightcrawler's uh, enjoyment. Wolverine and that tiger, fantastic! Then with a blast from Cyclops' I-beams, the X-Men are on their way. He used his I-beams to motor them away in a couple of other issues, like way back when. Well, you know, they're, <laughs> they're reusing stuff. Sure, why not? Propulsion. So as they head out towards the open sea, Storm senses a big storm, and they must go back to the Savage Land. We couldn't if we wanted to, though, Aurora. The current's got us. Before they know it, the frail craft is swept out of the shelter of the Great Cavern and into the raging fury of one of the worst winter gales to hit the Drake Passage south of the Cape Horn in over a hundred years. Next issue, the least expected X-Men origin of them all, Psywar. I've always wondered what the origin of Psywar was. <laughs> <laughs> True that. Yeah, so, you know, all in all, not a huge fan of that issue. Yeah, it was not the greatest. I like the Wolverine elements. Of course. I mean, that's good. We had a little depth to Wolverine's character. We fleshed him out a little bit more. But I feel like in this whole story arc, we spent way more time, like, talking about how the X-Men were just hanging out in the Savage Land. I mean, yeah, we had a little bit of um, uh, Sauron stuff going on there, but really it was all set up to be like, okay, you're in the Savage Land, and oh, here's Kesar, and here's Zebu. And then we had this, like, issue, which was like, I don't know, half trying to get to the city, a little bit of fighting, and then leaving the city. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of story there. Yeah. I'll give you that. But, I mean, the parts that were good were the parts where they were hanging around in the Savage Land. Yeah. Of this three-part so, cycle, uh, I would say the first two issues were pretty good, with the middle one, in my opinion, being the most outstanding. I'm not really sure why, but I, I liked last issue a lot. Uh, but this issue, I meh. It's just like... Uh, it's because the Petrified Man just doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean... Does he ever come back? And he's just he's just kind of lame. Yeah, and I don't know if it's more like John Byrd and Chris Claremont are like, Ugh, let's just get out of the Savage Land. <laughs> Could be, but I don't know. I mean, I, I thought this issue was good. It's just I really didn't care. Yeah, same here. The Petrified Man or his plot to destroy the Savage Land. So and the whole idea that. The X-Men have to go, but they get stopped, and, and they have to stay, and then they end up going. I don't know. There was some poor execution in some of it. But I would say of this, what was it, a three-parter? 
Yeah. This was definitely the weakest part, but on the whole, this was this was good. I mean, this this is probably one of the better stories so far as far as these new X-Men go. Yeah, the whole cycle or just this particular issue? Uh, the whole cycle. Hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe the first two issues, but Well, anyways, uh we did get some communications, which is always fun. Uh, just, did, yeah, is yeah, uh, we got a letter from, a- Adam Smith, Adam Smith. He good first name, man. <laughs> he should co-host sometime. <laughs> he writes in, he recently discovered the podcast. He's loving, loving how he covered the issues. Uh, he knows his X-Men, uh, history in general pretty well, but the podcast is giving him some specifics that he never knew. He likes the walkthroughs, the panel by panel, the running commentary, and how we sometimes make fun of the way things are said or drawn, which, yeah, you know. Uh, he is writing today because he just listened to podcast number 10, uh, and he does acknowledge that he has some catching up to do. So, uh, Adam, first of all, greetings from the future, because it's going to be a long time. Or is it the past? I can never keep up with this. Uh, anyways. I for a second you were talking to me, so I tuned back in. <laughs> huh? What, Adam? That's, that's my name. <laughs> Uh, issue number 10 or episode number 10 is the podcast where we expressed concerns that Iceman's powers didn't make sense, saying that he would have trouble in Arizona because of the lack of humidity in the air. This is good that somebody's paying attention to my little nitpicks. Uh, but he went into his local comic book shop and he picked up uh, he picked up X-Men Battle of the Atom number one. And in that issue, Iceman is quoted as saying this dry desert heat and my ice powers do not mix well. And Jeremy, yes, you know what this means? What? Brian Michael Bendis is listening to our podcast. Hello, Brian Michael Bendis. Thank you for your patronage, and I'm glad you're taking notes. You need to send us a voicemail. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Brian Michael Bendis, and I approve your podcast. Or, Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. And it turns out that as he is saying those lines, he is actually in Arizona. Iceman, not not Adam. Well, Adam might be in Arizona, but I think we got some other feedback, Adam. We got two. Well, uh, as Adam as Adam mentions, he gave us uh, some feedback on iTunes, and we got uh, we have. Do we have one or two new two iTunes reviews? We're up to forty four at this point. Yes, Adam did leave us some uh, iTunes podcast in which he basically says the same thing, but we love it because he gave us the five stars and it's just a little bit extra comment uh, on the iTunes page. But we also got a message from Michael Preston, too, on iTunes that he says he loves this program, finds it fantastic, and a funny review of the X-Men issues. So, And Michael Preston also wrote us on Facebook to say thanks for the program. He grew up watching the 90s cartoon. He wanted to read the comics from the start, but never had the time or money to do so. So our program is perfect. Nice. Listen to it 10 hours straight and a recent road trip across the country. Wow, that sounds awful. Yeah. I mean, the road trip sounds awesome, but listening to us for 10 hours, whoa, I don't know if I could do that, man. Uh, Kudos to you. It was great, but had a headache from the constant picturing... In my mind of what was going on in the comic, uh, it wasn't from the picturing of the comic. It was, it was probably us. It was probably our, our, our voices. <laughs> I love you guys. I hope you never give up. A lot of great podcasts just disappear one day. I hope that doesn't happen with you guys. Keep up the great work. 
I'm only on number 19. Another early uh, early listener. Greetings from the future. Or the past. <laughs> We're not sure. <laughs> Greetings from the time at well after the time at which you wrote us a letter. So you may have already spoke about this, but I would like to hear your opinion on the X-Men 90s cartoon, if you would like it or not. Thanks. Or if you like it or not. Thanks. Have we we talked about the X-Men cartoon, didn't we? We have, but we can again. I don't remember if we talked about it on one of our little inside edition things or, or actually on this podcast, but we can we could briefly just, just talk about it. Um I liked it. <laughs> I I liked it because uh you know, for the first time and I think I've mentioned this before, but for the first time a cartoon was released that didn't really alter much. They didn't add a talking monkey or an invisible car or, you know, they were the X-Men living in the mansion, fighting marauders, fighting sentinels, fighting the... I get the, the, uh, I get the monkey. What's the invisible car reference? I don't know. Just I'm sure that there's been a cartoon that they've tried to adapt from another medium, and they've probably given them some sort of stupid vehicle, which could potentially be an invisible car. I don't know. I made that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the monkey is obvious, so I was I thought maybe you were referencing something real. Everybody references the monkey. I decided I'd reference something something new. So but that's you what... also reference the monkey. <laughs> well, you know that that's where you start, but then you go on to a different <laughs> reference, right? So you get everybody on the same page, and then move on to the next thing, and they're like, "Oh, that's equally ridiculous." Okay. I don't know, uh, but also um, earlier than that, there was Pride of the X Men, which came out, and when I was first collecting X Men, I remember going through the pages of like the Marvel bullpen and whatnot, and they're like, "We're gonna have an X Men cartoon, and it's gonna be awesome," and then it never ever came out i think it aired somewhere because the pilot exists and i think you can actually get it on dvd these days so that's what i was looking forward to when i was first into x-men and so it was many years after when we finally got the x-men the animated series and i think i taped all of those and then watched them over and over and over again in fact a couple of years ago they were rerunning them i think either on cartoon network or g4 one of the two and I like locked the TiVo on there and just I watched the entire series all the way through. In one sitting or <laughs> No, no. It was I think they had like one or two episodes on per night. So I'd come home and make dinner and then after dinner I'd like watch one or two episodes of X Men the animated series. It's great. Hmm. It's awesome. The one thing about that show though, I mean, they really like the voice acting was pretty good, the animation was pretty good. Like no violence, though. I mean, it was really still under that kind of strict, like, you must have a moral message and you must not have much violence. So whenever somebody would use their powers, it was more to, like, make a rock fall on somebody's head rather than to, like, shoot. Like, Cyclops, I don't think, ever shot anybody. Hmm. You know, he'd, he'd shoot around the person to make something fall on them. Marvel Girl never, like, telekinetically picked somebody up and slammed him on the ground or, you know, things like that. <laughs> Like she's always doing in the comic. <laughs> yeah. She's using her telekinetic powers to like squish heads in the comic books. I don't know why she doesn't do that in the TV series. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, followed closely after that was Batman, the animated series. And then, then all bets were off. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the golden age of cartoons. Mark II. When did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles come out? Well, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out earlier than X-Men, the animated series. But, I mean, they 
they took some leaps of faith. That was not based on the Eastman. Oh, no, not at all. But for a lot of people, it was nobody knew that comic. Right. For a lot of people, that was their jumping on point for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I find weird. The majority. It's like Michael Preston here is like his jumping on point for the X-Men was the animated series. And I find that, I mean, not a bad place to start, but I just find that such a weird, weird entry point. To me, it'd be like, what's that? Why do you think it's weird? I, because it's not how I did it, <laughs> you know? Oh, I see. <laughs> I, it's just, I don't know. We don't like differences amongst people. <laughs> no, no, I didn't say I didn't like it. I just find it weird. Like, I would find it equally weird if somebody was like, oh, yeah, I'm really into the X-Men. I love the X-Men so much. And you're like, yeah, what what X-Men issues have you read? Like, no, 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 no. I, I, I discovered them through the movies. And I'm sure it's probably a lot of people, though. I know. I guess it's also just kind of shows my age and and. You know, it's cool that there are all these new outlets for people to get into the X-Men. Whereas, you know, when I was originally collecting, it was the comic book. And of course, at that time period, comic books were like, oh, you read comic books? What's wrong with you? (laughs) People are still like that. Yeah, well, screw them. (laughs) We've, (laughs) We've literally inherited the earth. I mean, all of the movies are now based on our hobbies, so screw them. Yeah, but still, (laughs) nobody reads the books. (laughs) Well, I suppose. They all love Avengers and Spider-Man. Yeah, but they don't love the comic books. It's a dying medium. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's too much stuff for people to do. True, true that. Well, let's not lament that. So I talked enough about what I felt about X-Men the Animated Series. What about you, Adam? Oh, uh, I, I've only seen like a handful of episodes and I'm sure I saw them at your house after like a sleepover or something. You're like, you gotta watch this. (laughs) And I just remember it's like, yeah, (laughs) okay, man, you, uh, you should, they're not on Netflix and they're not on uh, Amazon prime. So I don't know. So my, my window of opportunity for watching them is is gone. I have, I'm not of the age anymore that I would want to watch them. Um, and I, I guess at the time I just wasn't interested when you were into them. So opportunity lost. Literally right after this podcast, if I had like the DVD box set of that, I would, I would pop on episode number one and just start watching them. Really? Heck yeah. Okay. Maybe they're really good and I'm missing out, but, uh, I, I I will never know. I just have no I have no interest. I like the comics. What do I need anything else for? I don't know. All right, Adam. Morph. That's all I remember. <laughs> all right, fine. Morph was kind of an amalgamation. Morph was the monkey of the X Men the animated series. Well, they needed to kill somebody off. Correct. And they did. Well, actually, but then Morph came back. Yeah, I think he came back. I think he might have came back as one of Apocalypse's four horsemen, but. I could be wrong about that. Speaking of animated X-Men on Netflix, Wolverine and the X-Men is all on Netflix now. I've seen most of Wolverine and the X-Men. Not all. Is that the one you didn't like? No, I didn't like uh, X-Men Evolution. But we had a listener who said that was actually pretty good. Yeah. So once you get into the second season, I I might be willing to give that a second shot. All right. What I haven't watched that I have sitting uh, on my my system uh, is uh, X the X Men anime. Oh yeah, there's like a twelve or maybe only eight episode X Men series that was all made in Canada, not Canada, Japan. 
And I think there's actually uh, an Avengers and, and maybe an Iron Man one as well. But I only got the X-Men one. And one of these days I'm actually going to watch it. It's a little slow. And uh, I think it was originally recorded in Japanese, but I have the English dub. So, like, the lips don't quite match the animation. And some of the dialogue's a little stilty. But... Instead of making a sound effect, does Wolverine shout, Snaked! <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> All right, let's go to Classic X-Men number 22. Whoa, let's do that. What a terrible cover. I disagree. It's it's not terrible. It's, it's not great, but I like the giant petrified man. I like Garak. Garak is good. Garak's the only good thing on this cover. Well, Zebu. Okay, no, even Zebu, his legs are all fat and stuff. But I, just... I like his fat legs. Yeah. I don't like this cover. Yep. Zabu, however, was not in this scene. No, he was not. When they faced off against the giant petrified man. So, yeah, let's just open it right up. Inside cover's got a very frightened petrified man. I kind of like this frightened petrified man. I like man. this a lot, actually. It's very zombie-like. Uh, and, and kind of a generic Zolidane. So, I mean, I wish that they would just cut Zolidane out of this and just leave this petrified man face, because it's pretty cool. They should make this petrified man into, like, a statue or something. Oh, that'd be sweet. I would totally buy that. Just a big bust of this. Uh, we're joined with uh, some help by Kieran Dwyer, who's only contributing page 8, and uh, a young talent named Frank Miller, who's adding page 19. He's well known at this point. <laughs> oh, is he? Yeah, I suppose it is the eighties. This, this is the this is the late eighties. Yeah, all right, fine. A very well known John, or I mean, uh, John, Frank Miller. But when we get to what his contribution is, I'm going to be questioning like why does it belong here? But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, first page uh, before Kesar said the ridge lies. Uh, this ridge lies our thrice damned destination has been rewritten to our thrice accursed destination. Also, Wolverine has been tilted slightly so that he's not looking at the words to save the Savage Land anymore. Yeah, he can't see that. We skip ahead to page seven, where the top three panels are the same, and then they add a section below that where they're running through the city. Yeah, and... it feels like this panel... Because they were running towards the thing and they're like oh it's stinky and they're like this is where the i don't know they're running towards the dump basically and i can't remember if this panel is new the dialogue is definitely new it, it's the panel's new okay um storm detects something and grabs nightcrawler throws him into the shadows dives on wolverine and they hide underneath the water and a whole bunch of those demon things come flying around they f go by. They're gone, says Nightcrawler. And my weather powers can. They're, they're worried about getting, being caught. Yeah. Back troops. This is a combat situation. We can't let anybody see us. Anyone who does can't be left uh, able to sound the alarm. So Wolverine's going to go on a killing spree, in other words, <laughs> and then we cut back to the comic book. Yeah, which is right before Wolverine kills the guard. So. For some reason, it was felt that we needed to add a page of why Wolverine must kill this guard, I guess. 
I don't understand the addition of this. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I just want to double check. I'm almost positive, but as Storm goes flying down to save uh, Kesar, not Kesar, um, the petrified man, um, something about a private hell is the fear of dying alone buried in the dark has been rewritten to whose private horror is the fear of dying alone buried in the dark. So... I guess at this point we can just always assume that hell and damn are going to be replaced with some other word. True. Probably don't even need to cover it. So then what I was really eager to see was like, well, what's what's Frank Miller's contribution to this? Because every classic X-Men has two additional pages of content, right? Well, let me tell you, it's a pinup. <laughs> it's a terrible pinup. <laughs> Frank Miller has several different styles of art. Yeah, and this is his crap style. <laughs> and this is more in the vein of not so hot. I'm pretty sure that this is his son drawing a, a portrait of Wolverine. <laughs> this is Bob Miller. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> like, I like Frank Miller a lot. I mean, who doesn't, of course, right? But this is just like, I feel like this is like his very first drawing of Wolverine. And they're like, oh, Frank Miller, you're popular. Let's publish this piece of crap pinup that you drew for us. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't, or everything is so non-symmetrical on him. Like his mask is non-symmetrical. It almost looks like, did he like make um, a South Park version of Wolverine? Like, are these like little pieces of construction paper that he's laid out to make a <laughs> uh, picture of Wolverine? I I don't know. And look, he's got like a big hunchback. Like his neck is like way down on his body. He's got his back is going like up towards the back of his head. Um, oh, it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> Do you like it, Adam? No. <laughs> but I, it's like one of those, I mean, we got a filler issue. Hey, Frank Miller, we'll give you, we'll give you 50 bucks to draw a pin up. You got, you got an hour. We got to get it up to press. <laughs> All right. And he just, right, how's that? Yeah, good enough. Let's go. Good enough. Like the perspective is all wrong. I mean, it's supposed to be like Wolverine's knee is coming at us and his head is coming at us, but where his abs are should be like smaller, but they're the same well, size. Like, of his... Freak Miller has this style of not being anatomically correct at times. Um, and very sketchy and very kind of fluid and, and kind of, uh, yeah, he has the, the thrown-together kind of look. So this is one of his popular styles. So, I mean, I, I can appreciate it for that, but, I mean, yeah, it's it's not... <laughs> I, I don't think you're supposed to judge it on the quality of how human he looks. What are you, am I supposed to judge it on? It looks like crap. <laughs> it looks like a... Actually, the, the longer I look at it, the more it does look like it does. Now I'm just looking at his, his head doesn't actually seem like it's attached to his body. His head looks like a separate yeah. uh, image. You're right, actually. Like, if you were to take <laughs> his head and, like, move it up on the page about an inch, <laughs> then then maybe it's a better drawing. Maybe that's my whole problem. Because now that I look at it more, it does look like he drew the head. Or actually, he drew the body. I mean, maybe the body would look better if you had a decent head. Actually, if you cover up the body, it's not a bad image of just Wolverine's head. I think you're right. I think the whole problem is, is that the head is in the wrong spot. You put this head on top of his shoulders, and and I think maybe you do have a decent Wolverine. 
I don't know. After <laughs> all, given this way too much time. <laughs> after all of this chat, we got to publish this uh, picture on the on the web page just so everybody else can see what we're talking about. Because this, it's very, it's like an optical illusion almost, <laughs> and it takes you a while, and then you're like, oh yeah, his head is not attached. Just don't stare at it for too long. Interestingly enough, the uh, this particular issue contains a letters column. It does. It's like two pages long, which is weird. But it's got to be weird to like write in about a comic that's already been published once before and then have to answer questions about something that's probably already been asked in the past. But I don't know. It seems weird. Or there's... Well, you get classic letters such as Michael Ponchotes where he says, I love reading the new X-Men's early adventures. I also love reading the backup stories by John Moulton. The things I love most about classic X-Men are the covers by Art Adams. <laughs> Yay. I, like... I love things involved in this comic book. <laughs> I love things that you make. Please publish my letter. <laughs> Can I get a no prize? Well, all right. So um, then I couldn't tell quite what was going on with the classic X-Men story. Is it all supposed to be out of order like it is? Well... It's weird because the page numbers line up. Yeah, they this first page is drawn by somebody different than the rest of them, I think. Or at least it looks like it is, or maybe it's just not maybe it is John Bolton. It's kind I of I almost said Michael Bolton. I mm, pulled a Jeremy. Uh it's got too much detail to be John Bolton in my opinion. If you look at the if you look at page 23 and you look at this image of storm, it's very um outline and then the rest but, is color yeah, but look at cyclops's face i mean that just seems like a john boltony type thing uh, according to this penciler inker is john bolton on page 22 weird so, well any, i don't know so this page is if i'm to read this and i think i'm reading it correctly takes place after they've defeated the sun god but before they've actually taken off in there so during that fortnight this is what happens so like this is half a fortnight later <laughs> yes uh, and and only a single furlong away from the <laughs> so yeah they're they're like um i guess they're wondering where storm is she's taken off mm -hmm. because she's upset yep so she, I guess about killing somebody. About gear. Or not killing somebody, but not being able to save somebody. Right. So then we turn the page to what really looks like a John Bolton picture of Storm flying out of an ocean, or a lake rather, uh, up in the air. She's all by herself. She's where she likes to be. I'm not sure what she's got in her hands, but it kind of looks like a used condom. <laughs> it's water. Or a fish that she's trying to feed herself, but it's weird. She just jumped out of the water, and there is water spilling from her hands and her feet. Okay. Looks weird. Uh, she's terrified, I guess, but she says. She's thinking to herself. She's self-doubting. If she would have tried harder, she might have saved Garrock. She'll never know. She swore never to kill, and yet as the X-Men, she's almost certain she's going to have to face it. She is. What she is terrified is of is all of these conflicting ideas and her new life and blah stuff and junk and that's when the giant gooper fish from phantom of the menace jumps out <laughs> and wants to eat her <laughs> i think it was called a gooper fish wasn't it 
I don't know. Yusa guys, bomb bad. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, and so there's, well, actually, this giant fish has got a woman in her teeth, it looks like, and is going after mm. Storm. Well, I think that's Storm in her teeth. Is it? I th- and then the woman is the one clinging to the side of it oh. with the knee-high socks. It could be. I, I don't really know. I think you're, you might Yeah, be I don't right. really know what's going on either. I think you're right. But anyways, uh, so whatever. Long... That's a big fish. <laughs> long story short, they are, are able to escape from the giant fish, and that's fun. Takes two pages to happen, but but they do. And it turns out the the woman that Storm rescued is some sort of weird space pirate. <gasps> space pirates. And uh, that's what this episode boils down to, is that Storm, for it's it's like remember that episode of the Next Generation where uh, Captain Picard lives an entirely different life. Yeah, that was a great episode. Yeah, that's kind of like this, except instead of an entirely different life, it's just a couple of weeks <laughs> where Storm travels with the space pirates on a giant, um, the land before time beast. Yeah, uh, no, talks. It, it's Falcor from the Never Ending Story. Or yeah, not, not the Land Before Time, the Never Ending Story. <laughs> yeah, Storm's like Falcor, Falcor. No, I don't remember how Falcor talked. I can't remember any of his dialogue. I don't remember either, but I'm talking like this. Yeah, it was probably sounds like that, but I just can't remember any of his lines. Well, anyways, yeah, he he's flying around. So it's a big flying dog, just like Falcor, but he's got a saddle, and on that saddle is basically their ship where they're being space pirates. And they're in some sort of other dimension, and they fight other space pirates. Well, we get kind of like a um, a uh, montage of all of the things Storm has done. They fight pirates. They, I don't know, They looks like they bring them to justice and they get riches and drink champagne and it's a wonderful life. And But slowly Storm realizes that she misses her old life and if she doesn't do something now, she's going to be stuck here forever. And she... This just seems like one of Chris Claremont's bad ideas that never went anywhere. Oh my god! Kind of like the Star Jammers. <laughs> Not as bad as the Star Jammers. He really likes space pirates. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Chris. Nobody likes space pirates. It's just not a good idea. Space cowboys? Yes. Space pirates? No. Space, sorry. Space pirates are always bad people. I mean, a la <laughs> Metroid, right? They were space well, pirates. Those guys, those guys were actually more. They were more like the Xenox, I think. Oh, okay, good. Idea. Yeah, sure. But they were literally called literally called space pirates. They were. It's true. <laughs> Which, the more we got to see of them, made less and less sense. Yes, they look like they're amphibious creatures. How are they space pirates? No, well, who knows what a well, one of the one of the star jammers looks like an amphibious creature. Good point. Han Solo was originally supposed to be an amphibious creature. That's true. So, anyway, Storm realizes that this woman that has rescued her, that she's been spending all of her time with, is using Storm as a replacement for her child, I think. And eventually actually goes to her and says, I am not your child, Mutrin, because her name is Mutrin. 
And uh, so Storm wants to go back. Well, this is really bad because so like the, on that page, it's like, I, I'm not your daughter. And then they have this big, long conversation about like, I, oh, you know, not flesh and blood, but we can still be together or something. But whatever you want to do. And Storm is like, I, I want to stay, but I got to go back home. And then they have some more dialogue. And then Storm said, or the woman's like, you can go back. Here's how you go back, even though I could have lied to you. And then Storm's like, oh, thanks, mother. like it took a page to turn around from i am not your child to thank you mother and uh, apparently passing back to her own dimension causes storm to never remember this ever again and never bring it up (laughs) i'm surprised it literally doesn't say like once you go through the portal you'll have no memory of this adventure but i'll remember you always daughter farewell mother if you went to live with somebody for like a couple of months, even if you weren't a bunch of space pirates, you'd want to mention it to your buddies back home. <laughs> I think a lot of things happen off panel with when it comes to the X-Men. I mean, I can accept a, uh, you know, some sort of time thing where she's only gone for a fortnight, but it turns out that she, you know, she was, she spent all this time in space. You know, it's like the Star Trek Next Generation yeah, anomaly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can buy that. Yeah. Uh, but... Her never mentioning it again? I mean, that's just weird. I I don't know, nor do I care. This was a terrible, terrible throwaway story. Wolverine Space Pirates! Ah, whatever. (laughs) I want to get a brew. You up, fuzzy elf? Yeah. I do not want to hear about space pirates. (laughs) Broad's talking about space futzers. (laughs) She's a futzer. (laughs) Well, there you go. So that's X-Men number 116. Yes, it is. <laughs> and it's classic piece of crap com- compliment. Companion. There you go. That's the word I was searching for. Uh, there you I go. did not do any supplemental reading this week. I'm behind. That's all right. So, folks, um, if you would like to join in the fun, you can visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com where you can see all of the episodes. You can leave a comment there if you would like, or you can go out and visit us on our iTunes page. Just open up that little iTunes thing, go to podcasts, and type in Danger Room. We'll come right up. You can download podcasts from there, leave a comment, leave us a five-star rating. It's all fantastic. Or you can like us, and actually we've gotten a few more likes. I think we're up to about 126 or 127 likes, which is fantastic. That's at facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Uh, or you can follow us on our Twitter feed, which we hardly ever update, but but we do from time to time, and that is at Danger Room Go. Uh, you can also check us out on Stitcher. Uh, I think we've actually gotten a couple of listeners from Stitcher, so if that's your way in, then by all means, stitch away. Is that what the, <laughs> is that what the Stitcherites say? Come stitch away, come <laughs> stitch away. To be fair, we don't update the Twitter, but uh, someone does. Yes. So there, there's stuff going on in the Twitter. Yes. I, we just have no idea what it is. We have Edward Gibson III to thank for that, so... Yes, he does a fine job. He posts the uh, the panels that we we pull out uh, that we post on the uh, the web page, so that people 
on Twitter and Facebook can also see them. Yes, good times. So, there you go. Adam, anything else you want to add to this one? Futzer? That's right, you futzers. Until next week, the danger room is closed. We got geeks and freaks for weeks here, folks, but you ain't seen nothing till you've marveled at the petrified, petrified man, petrified man. Come be astounded by the petrified man, petrified man, petrified man. Well, I put on some Bobby Dylan so I would not feel so all alone. And the last thing I remember was a ringing on the telephone.